Hello, and welcome again to Back to the Future Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie Back to the Future Part 2, one engine revving minute at a time. I'm Nick Jimenez in the news. I'm Scott Corelli, and joining us from the Alien Minute podcast, John Engel. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm glad to be here. Happy to have you. And today we are going back to minute number 94, which begins with uh, the struggle between Biff and uh, Marty and uh, arguably, I think, probably uh, the coolest Marty maneuver we've seen yet and Mm -hmm. uh, ends with uh, Marty. Have you guys have you guys seen that vine where it's like the four, like the three black friends that are like doing a weird, like kind of like hunched up shoulder dance and they're like walking they're like jogging down the street to, to yes. pick on me yes that's what marty looks like in the final frame oh of, that's of funny <laughs> i've not seen that but uh, i'll have to check that out after uh i have no idea so, how you would find it so the yeah yeah how do you find anything like that um so <laughs> so the uh uh the thing that i want to bring up that i love about this minute and is something that you know is the 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 huge benefit of watching these movies one minute at a time and seeing things that you've never ever seen before or put pieces together that you've never ever put together before um this is a retread of a very famous moment from the first film which is the DeLorean running toward Marty and Doc in the in the Twin Pine Mall parking lot um it's edited and and shot very similarly uh it it features the same sort of menace because at the time we don't know that the delorean isn't going to murder both of them um and uh and yeah it's just it's a car uh revving up and then you know slamming into drive and barreling toward our hero uh and i i find that I find that really fun that they recreated that moment um, and used it. I, cause you know, the whole thing with back to the future is all about history repeating itself and moments repeating itself. And this is one that I've never caught before. And I thought that was really cool. Well, it's interesting. Cause I was reading it as a callback to a different moment. I mean, I think mm-hmm. it's a more, it's very directly a callback to Marty's maneuver climbing over the top of Biff's car in the first one, you know, where he ends up landing on the, skateboard and then they slide into the, into the manure truck it feels a oh, lot yeah. like that when he flips over the car and makes this great maneuver and even kind of comes to a stop in the same way and turns around with a kind of mm-hmm. cocky look on his face and right. it's, a, it's a callback but what's kind of cool about it is that it's there's a reversal here so in, in screenwriting terms you know you, callbacks are great but reversals are equally as satisfying mm-hmm. because in that case that's the victorious moment period you know punctuated by uh, Biff hitting the manure truck here. They, you know, not to get too far ahead, but they hold off on that moment and actually say, Oh, Marty's you're actually in worse trouble now than you mm-hmm. were just a second ago. So I think that's one of the, uh, that's one of the better, this, this minute actually is one of the better writing moves I think in the movie, because a lot of the callbacks seem a bit like what we now understand as fan service pandering kind of things. And I, and like you said, it is part of what makes back to the future, what it is. But you can see this sort of template of fan service callbacks all the way through the movie kind of playing out. So I think it's interesting here, though, that they use it and they actually twist it on the character. So mm-hmm. it's so the that, characters interacting with the fan service as opposed to just like kind of pandering to the to the audience. 
right? The, the winkless callback. Like you don't want the the big wink going. Hey, get it? Remember that? Sure. This, like the, just, you just feel the moment happen again. Uh, yeah, it's the, recognizable the, to you, and then you go, "Oh no, there's there's more trouble actually," which is another satisfying moment. Which which is which is really fun because I mean, and you know, that's a that's a uh, screenwriting thing that was becoming uh, secretly popular, really popular during the eighties, and and you know, you had um, writers like Shane Black uses that constantly like that's his move is the is the is the reversal of expectations like he does that all the time that's that's his move you know like when in the nice guys when uh when you he's gonna punch through the through the glass and you're just like oh yeah he's gonna punch through the glass and gonna reach in he's gonna unlock the door but he punches through the grass and then just cuts all of his veins open and passes out from blood loss (laughs) um and it's a great reversal and that's a that's a shane black move and you know that's this is the same time period where he started coming up um, and he built a career on reversals. Um, so yeah, yeah it's, it's my imagination really cool. is just tingling at the prospect of Shane black telling a time travel story. Yeah, I do. He did try. I heard him in an interview say that he started to write a time travel script and he got depressed and couldn't finish it. I can't yeah, remember like if him. he gave any details about the story, but he mm-hmm. said he started a time travel story and he said, basically, it's impossible to really write a time travel story. <laughs> and it drove him crazy. And I think this was during, it was post writing Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang and the Nice Guys. But when oh, he was wow. kind of in that long, dark moment yeah. in his career before Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang came out. And uh, I, I might be wrong about some of my facts there, but I just, they've been recently interviewing him a lot on different podcasts. And oh, so sure. Yeah. I remember mm-hmm. that. It's been, it's but been he's right. I, I love it. Guys, I wrote a time travel script like eight years ago and it's awful it's just awful because it's really really hard to do i'm a, I'm a uh, big fan and, of the the ryan johnson quote that uh, uh i mean i think the easiest way to handle a time travel story is to acknowledge that that time travel is is, is fantasy rather than science yeah. fiction mm-hmm. yeah and even with that you're gonna find yourself uh you know looper is a great movie i think because he does approach it that way mm-hmm. but um i mean you can certainly nitpick it too and it's really hard to uh to do a time travel script just right. It'll definitely get you in. I mean, the, the title of that movie is very appropriate because you get caught in a loop. Mm-hmm. You find yourself think, constantly going, oh, that doesn't work because of the last 15 pages I just wrote. Right. And I think I think the trick, I, I think the trick to, to doing uh, time travel, and I think the same can be said about a lot of movies, is, you know, you you, because time travel isn't real, you get to set your own rules. And as long as you set those rules and don't break those rules internally, I think that's how you make a time travel movie work. And yeah. Um, and, and you look at movies like that are so that kind of use time travel in more of a lyrical, emotional way. I mean, like, like about time or midnight in Paris, which are such gorgeous, gorgeous films that sort of have, have little to no patience or interest in like, the sort of Shane Carruth hard sci-fi of of how they're doing this, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think what you're talking about is the difference. Uh, there's another movie called Somewhere in Time. Have you guys ever seen that one with Christopher? Yes, Reed? yes. Um, I think what you're talking about there is the difference between a movie about characters in time periods as opposed to a movie about time travel, and that might be the difference between Back to the Future One and Back to the Future Two, because that I could, yeah. Right. I mean, Back to the Future One is very much about the two time periods that we see 
and how the characters interact with each other, given their different places in those time periods, where this movie becomes very quickly about time travel and trying to explain the paradoxes and, and problems with it. And they seem to be constantly trying to catch up with that problem as opposed to ever having really any moments where interpersonal relationships are explored in any way or any of the things that made the first one so great and not really about time travel. And I think that's, that's a lot. Uh, I mean, I think that's the reason why the third one is superior to the second one uh, is because it gets back to basics in a way it gets back to a, what made the first one so good, which was that it's simple. It's about relationships and it's about time periods and it's not about time travel. I think the, the something that um, uh, I forget if it was Gail or Zemeckis who said this, but they said the way that you write a Back to the Future story is that time travel is never the solution to the problem; it is the problem, um, and you it can't you can't have it both ways. It can't be it can't be the problem and the solution. It can't be both things. And I think that's fundamentally the issue with part two is that it is sort of both things. It is both the problem and the solution and it makes it a kind of messy movie. I don't think really in this second film they don't ever present us with any solutions. That's another part of the problem is mm -hmm. They're kind of setting up that time travel could might be the solution to its own problem, but it's such a second act. Like I get it. It's three. It's a trilogy. It wasn't intended to be in the first place though. So they sort of retroactively made the first movie, the first act of a tri trilogy and then handed us this movie. That's just a second act, meaning it's all ascending action the whole time. And that's where you'd never have any digression. You never have any moments where you can calm down and, and, and hang out with the characters but all the things that are set up in this movie, they then actually resolve in the third movie. Right. And that's why, to me, the third movie, if you watch it on a surface level, it's not super great either. But when you think about the things that they did set up in this movie, uh, it pays off so much. And, and it actually pays off the characters. And Doc actually has an arc in that movie, as opposed to this movie, where he's really just a mouthpiece to the whole thing. Right. And anyway, that's, that's how I see the problem with this movie. Yeah, and and you know, and we've talked a lot about you know the the missing Zemeckis connection with this one, and that uh, Gail. I mean, there's a reason that he didn't really work much as a screenwriter after this. Um, he sort of transitioned into being a comic book writer, um, and kind of. I mean, he, he. I don't think he does it anymore. I think he's more or less retired. Um, but he was he was a comic book writer for. Uh, 20 years, I think, um, after uh, Back to the Future Part 3. Um, and I think that's because I, I think he worked really well with Zemeckis, but, you know, on his own, we get 1941. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I, I think I think he, a lot of Back to the Future is Bob Gale, um, but I think more of it is Zemeckis than people... Um, from a screenwriting standpoint, then people give it credit for. Sure. Uh, like you can, you know, coming as a, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Beatles and I, as much as I've, I've, I've found, I, I love individual albums and songs by both Paul McCartney and John Lennon. Uh, but you know, nothing can compare to the, the collision and the conflict and the, the harmony that was Lennon McCartney. Right. Agreed. agree. 
Yeah. I mean, I, that being said, you know, it's kind of bringing back a memory. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, didn't oh, we no, have I was a Twitter gonna, discussion gonna, about gonna... Paul McCartney's Ram once, like a couple months ago? I feel like we did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this yeah. discussion came up between us earlier. Yeah, there's 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 those one-offs here and there that work, but really it's about the cohesion of the group. And I think in the case of Gail the Bobs here, I think Gail is an idea man and Zemeckis is a filmmaker. And he's the one that knows mm-hmm. how to take the idea and shape it. And he's done it over and over again in his career, Some sometimes a lot better than other times. But um, he's always been able to take I mean, Romancing the Stones, another example where that was a first-time script by someone who didn't really, I don't think that she knew a ton about screenwriting. She just had this idea and she went for it. And uh, he took that script and said, I'll, I'll make something out of it. And it's a pretty good movie. So I mm-hmm. think that he's got a track record of doing that. So you take Bob Gale and separate him off and let him write a script by himself. And this is what we get. And I, I kind of wonder, I know that these movies were happening, happening back to back, but it, it just kind of feels like Zemeckis might've taken more of a role in the third movie's storytelling. I don't know though. That's, that's speculation. I, I think that's, I think that's accurate. And cause, cause the, the, what, what happened was that um, Gail worked on the, these right, writing the sequel, just, just part two um, while Zemeckis was writing and, or, you know, working on uh, who framed Roger rabbit and because he was busy doing that, he couldn't work on the Back to the Future sequel, which then turned into two sequels. And by the time that happened, I think you're right. I think they worked through a lot of Back to the Future 3 on set while making Back to the Future 2, yeah. um, having already probably figured out like sort of an outline and – generally like what set pieces were going to need to be built. Cause obviously they would all have to do a lot of that in pre-production. But I think from a page to page standpoint, um, I think Zemeckis has a lot more to do with part three than he does part two. Cause part two was a real run and gun operation. Um, and uh, you know, cause at the time Michael J. Fox was still working on family ties still. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was the last season and he, he filmed the series finale um, right after they wrapped part two and then he filmed the series finale of family type. So by the time they do part three, that opening scene of part three, where, where he, he and doc are napping on a couch, it's just like, I feel you, man. Like I feel you, <laughs> you, you finally got a chance to like rest because, oh my God, um, working on a, on a full-time sitcom while also filming a movie is insane. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I just I think uh I think you're t- absolutely right, but you know, uh SAG um uh sorry, not SAG. Uh WGA being what it is and the rules that it has, it was probably pretty well established that Gale was the sole screenwriter at that point and anything that Zemeckis was adding was, you know, minor tweaks that felt like something a director would do, not necessarily what a writer would do. Uh, according to the to the WGA, you know, um, and so so part three was still just Gale, but I think you're totally right. I think Zemeckis had more of a hand in that movie than um, than in part two. It definitely feels like it. It definitely yeah. feels more like a Robert Zemeckis film than the second one. The second one doesn't feel like it. Just feels like what it is. I'm not sure if it feels like a Robert Zemeckis film at any point. Well, and it, it also, um, I think it does, uh, uh, but it's it's easier to feel like it does when you're watching it minute to minute than it does uh, when you watch it and take it as a whole. 
Um, Because I did watch the entire movie as a whole before we started this. And I was like, man, this movie is so weird and not like the first one at all. Uh, And then watching it minute to minute, I I can see little details that I'm like, oh, I can recognize certain things and say, that's a Mechas, that's a Mechas, that's a Mechas. But I also think, and this is something we've talked about a lot, is that the tonal shift from Back to the Future to Back to the Future 2 is, I think, entirely explained by Roger Rabbit. Um, Because that is a movie about cartoons, and part two really does feel like a cartoon in a lot of ways. I think Marty feels cartoonish. Mm -hmm. There's a change in his character. It's reminiscent of Han Solo waking up from Carbonite kind of change, where he's just a little too goofy. In this yes. movie, and that brings us back to like I think somebody mentioned right at the beginning of the episode, and I have it in my notes too, that this is one of the only times he does something clever and you know pulls something off when he makes this little move with the hoverboard because that's pretty clever in the in the moment there. Um, and it's, it feels more like first movie Marty than it does the Marty that we've had up to now in this movie. Mm-hmm. But it's, I think it's a good maneuver that he makes there, and it's it's nice to see him back to his old self. Yeah, I will say when the when the uh, when the Ford is barreling down on on Marty, and Marty's like trying to get away, which which again that I mean that's also sort of a a, a visual reference to um, the uh, hoverboard chase in Act One with him on the on the water, um, trying his damnedest to pedal away while while uh while uh griff is uh powering toward him across the lake or across the pond um but i was i'm watching this and i was just like oh man it's uh it makes a lot of sense that we have john on for this because i am getting prometheus flashbacks Um, (laughs) just just run to the left like (laughs) good point point. you just got you run straight for a while and then eventually you give up and die Maybe the, maybe the mentality there is, well, as soon as I go left, that's when that thing's going to go left. You know, like maybe they're just like, I'll stay in the middle and just hope for the best. Yeah. Right. He just, he just did, had a moment where he used the side of the, of the tunnel to his advantage. It seems, uh-huh. you're right. It does seem kind of strange that he's just going straight down. Of course, yeah, I mean, in his mind, I guess he's going to outrun a, a 1941 Ford. Uh, get to the end there, but mm-hmm. um, seems like there's some other things he could have come up with for this moment. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I feel like the the move would be to meet the car, right? Yeah, what I mean, does it? Yeah, well, you'd want to you'd want to you'd want to turn and meet the car and like kind of catch it. Yeah, and it's then, apparently only going ten miles an hour, so right, not going to hit you that hard. Exactly. Yeah, jump off the board. Well, he could do the exact same. I mean, we've already seen a replay of the maneuver from the first movie, but I guess a hoverboard wouldn't just go right underneath a car like a, a wheeled uh, skateboard would, though. Yeah. You'd probably get stuck in the. Yeah, Marty's the a little bit like a like a like a like a like a not a not a high level, but not a low level RPG character where he's got like three good moves. And like yeah. really good, but it's mostly like charisma and luck. Yeah. Like his HP isn't very strong. He doesn't have that <laughs> much health, but he's just he's just got he just got a good roll going. 
<laughs> well, yeah. yeah, I mean, Marty, that, what you're saying about Marty is pretty on the on the button. I think he really is like charisma and luck for the most part, and <laughs> being clever enough in the moment, which is partially luck, um, to get things done. He's not like a super intelligent guy. We don't get that idea. He doesn't seem like a great student. He's not philosophical right. in any way. Right. But you would think that right <laughs> here. <laughs> you think that right here he would uh, again wow man the old Marty probably would have come up with something clever to do here but instead there's a little again it's not my me? minute but there's a day of smacking instead that comes to his rescue mm-hmm. history repeats itself once again true um, yeah, uh, yeah I mean that's that's that. kind of all I have for this minute because it's it's literally like 40 seconds of the of the car revving up and and then chasing Marty um, down yeah. the tunnel. Yeah. Yesterday, there were, uh, there were some debate over whether or not Biff was, was capable of, of uh, taking a life. And I think we see in this moment that he absolutely wants to, to, to murder Marty McFly. Yeah, he, he absolutely does. Well, we know, we know later in life that he certainly is. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I totally think that, I mean, in, in, the, in movie language, any guy who would steal like a four-year-old's ball and throw it on the roof of a house and then just laugh. I think in film language, that might not be true in real life one-to-one, that that person is also homicidal. But in film language, I think that's probably a given. Yeah, whatever the opposite of saving the cat is, that's what that is. That's exactly what it is. Kicking the dog. Is the, yeah. yeah. But I was going to say one thing for the, for the skateboarders out there. I'm not yeah. one. But there is a moment here, as I'm watching the minute over and over again, I notice there's a quick shot. Uh, close up of the hoverboard and Marty um, <sighs> pushing off the hoverboard. And I noticed that something didn't seem right. And like I said, I'm not a skater myself, but something didn't seem right. So I looked it up and what he's doing here is what some people refer to as pushing Mongo. Okay. Okay. Which means that you are planted with your back foot and pushing with your front foot, which is really bad form for a skateboarder. Apparently it's really dangerous. It does. You want your front, side to be anchored and not the back side. So if right. you hit a pebble or something, like say it was an actual skateboard. Um, but of course you have to give Marty the benefit of the doubt here because there's a strap. It's a, it's a design flaw. There's a strap on the back of the hoverboard that forces you to do this. But I did want to make sure I felt like I've always felt since I was a kid, like Marty is just a, a badass skater. Right. Mm-hmm. So I went back and looked at the first movie to make sure. And when he's got his regular, like classic deck, he's skating correctly. So anybody out there that's ever thought he had bad form here, I just want to assure you, it's not Marty's fault. It's the design flaw of uh, Mattel. Uh, right. And, and the hoverboard. Yeah. I, I, I think, um, I think that's, yeah, that's, 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 uh, man, the, the prop people. Uh, obviously whoever built that doesn't, doesn't know, uh, skateboarding cause, cause you know, obviously, you know, we watched the first movie and Michael J. Fox legitimately knows how to skateboard. Yeah. Um, so I can only imagine the conversation when they handed him the hoverboard and he was like, uh, the hell is this? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you could say, I guess that maybe this concept is, is, uh, obsolete with the hoverboard because unless there's wheels on the ground, maybe it doesn't matter. But I just wanted, I just knew that that looked wrong somehow yeah. and, and had to do a little research to make sure I was right about that. Yeah. And I actually called real life skaters and got this. I didn't just wiki 
That's oh wow! I just call, I want to make sure I knew what I was talking about before I talked about skating in uh, public. Well, speaking of things that you know, uh, what you're talking about, um, tell tell the folks at home about Alien Minute. Well, yeah, um, Alien Minute is just like it sounds. We're doing exactly what you guys are doing with the movie Alien, the Ridley Scott film. Um, watching it one minute at a time, doing a weekly episode, uh, daily episodes every week and having guests on. Um, I don't know when this is going to air, but we're pretty far into the movie at this point. And um, yeah, you can find us at alienminute.com. That's where you can download the episode or you can uh, subscribe on Stitcher, iTunes, uh, Google Play. Uh, you can follow us at Alien Minute Pod on Twitter. Um, and we have a Facebook page. If you start listening to the show, come over to the Facebook page. We try to get some good conversations going over there. So, uh, with Alien Minute, uh, I mean, when you guys wrap up this movie, are you continuing with the franchise or with like Ridley Scott? Like, are you transitioning from this to Blade Runner or are you going to Aliens or nothing? This is a very good question. I don't know. I mean, the idea, (laughs) the idea was to go into Aliens, um, Uh I'm not sure that Mitch is going to do that with me. So I guess that's kind of a, oh, interesting. maybe a slight bombshell. At some point we have to mention that. Um, and then I'm not sure if I'm going to do it without him. So we'll see. I, I'm leaning towards doing Blade Runner if nobody else does mm-hmm. that. So I don't know, though. I, I need a partner in it. And I'm not sure if he's going to going to be there. He's got – I mean, Mitch is like a real professional screenwriter. He actually might have a lot of work coming up. So he might not – Yeah, be- I <laughs> Cre- cre- the creator of Renee Montoya. That's amazing. Yes, the creator of Renee Montoya wrote the very first episode yeah. of Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. So right. you know, he's a busy guy. And I think that this, this minute by minute thing was a great idea for us. And it's really hard work. So uh, we'll just have to see. It's kind of up in the air. But. I'll let you know. Well, I, uh, I, I highly recommend your, your show. Um, and it, it, what's great about these minute podcasts is every time one comes out, I feel like they just have the perfect hosts because it always, it always, they always match the tone of the movie. And every time I listen to an episode of alien minute at the beginning, it always feels like you guys are telling a secret like <laughs> at the beginning, like it's very, very like quiet. And like, so we're going to talk about alien now. And I was like, yeah, we are, we are going to talk about alien. Um, it's, it's, it's really great. Um, and I feel the same way about like the wrath of Khan guys. And, and it's, it's, yeah, I've just, that's one of the best things I think about the, uh, the minute family is everyone is hosting exactly the show that they should be hosting, which I think is cool. Yeah, I think, you know, it's a testament to the movies, too. I think with Alien, I could do, uh, like, I went on the Indiana Jones Minute show, and I was a completely different kind of, like, character, maybe, on the pod, as a podcast guest on that show, because of the type of movie I was talking about, where in Alien, it's a subdued film, it's brooding, and we just, I think that's just automatically where we're going to be, we're a little bit drier than, I think, uh, we're pretty dry for... (laughs) For all of the uh, uh, podcast, minute podcast people out there, we might be the driest one. I don't know. But uh, that's the tone of the movie, so it fits. Yeah, well, if that's true, yeah. let's hope that there's uh, never a fight club in it. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that would – yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. That you would be exhausting. Know. 
there could eventually be a everything you know that you can think of minute we'll see how far this is going (laughs) Um, (laughs) fight club i don't think i'd listen so no in case anybody's thinking about doing it out there there's one person that we won't do yeah seven i don't i don't think i could i don't think i could live with that movie one minute at a time i just i prematurely ended a lot of uh potential relationships in college because of fight club why by showing it to (laughs) was that your first test or something no 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 kind of the opposite oh okay it's like uh, project mayhem like okay you don't I was gonna say because I used to be, I used to show Die Hard on first dates. Like if I had a girl over, mm. cook her dinner, show Die Hard. If you if you love Die Hard, then you're probably gonna be okay with me. Yeah, <laughs> it means you have, you have kind of you have a sense of humor and you'll watch a lot of different kinds of movies, and that's mm-hmm. a good thing for me in a relationship. Absolutely. Cool. Well, uh, I, I think that's all we got for this uh, for this minute. Uh, John, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. If you uh, want to visit our website at duelinggenre.com, you can always do that and leave comments, uh, things we missed, uh, favorite parts of the show. We love hearing from you guys. You can email us at contact at backtothefutureminute.com. We are currently uh, doing our weekend edition, Back to the Future No Roads edition, and uh, we, the fuel, the, 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 the kindling that lights that fire are you guys' emails and comments and feedback. It gives Scott and I stuff to talk about so that we're not uh, just talking out of our buttholes for an hour. And you can tweet us at BTTF Minute. We love our Twitter followers. We love hearing from you guys. Uh, we love retweeting stuff. You know, anytime we see something fun about the movies or, like, you know, or those cool behind-the-scenes pictures, we'll retweet those. And uh, it's kind of uh, – if you, if you tweet at us, we'll retweet you because we're not super big yet, so we still talk back to everybody. <laughs> tumble at us at bttfminute.tumblr.com um i would you know i'm gonna go ahead and, and ask you know now that we're kind of wrapping up uh this volume of the show it'd be cool to start maybe seeing just some quotes and favorite moments and you know what what have you enjoyed uh of this volume of our uh, little three-part adventure uh and you can like us on facebook you can leave us a review on itunes it's kind of the chachas thing you can do for a podcast it really helps us out give us five stars and uh if you click under the related stuff on itunes i'm sure you can find alien minute and all the other minute podcasts and uh, as well as our other dueling genre productions like the doctor's companion where we talk about doctor who with our uh, our, our immortal friend cannot will not die ever uh, <laughs> the doctor's companion, uh, geek by night. God knows uh, we've tried. God knows we've uh. tried. <laughs> like, she's like Rasputin. Uh, <laughs> geek by night, which is the thing I'm most proud of in the world right now. It is the show that I executive produced with this guy pointing at Scott stage direction. Uh, our uh, episode 11 is coming out and we're really excited. And it's about these adorable, uh, 20 something nerds that get superpowers and uh, but really, what they get and what they never expected is friendship. And uh, you can go to our uh, duelinggenre.com/support with all the information about our Patreon, which makes all of this possible. We also have a donation button and merch, and we love, love nothing is cooler than seeing uh, our 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 lovely cartoon faces by Kevin Ziegler on people's like shirts and on their walls and stuff. It's just so cool. And uh, special thanks to our Patreon associate producer, the lady that makes all of this possible, Leaper, one to the eight to the two. And we will see you guys on Thursday. Wait, no, this is Thursday. We'll see you guys on Friday. 
Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. Bye.